Thank you, Crow family, um, for lighting the candle. Again, one of my favorite parts of the Advent season is getting our different family units involved in that moment. And just visually, as you look at the table, like we're getting there, right? We're now three weeks into... Uh, into the Advent season, and Christmas is just two weeks away. So those of you who are uh, late shoppers, just a reminder, you got two weeks. All right, my name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here at Discovery. It's good to be together. I want to invite you to meet me in Isaiah chapter 26. So if you have a a Bible, that's right pretty much in the middle of your physical Bibles. You can also find that uh, on the app uh, as well. Follow along on the screen as we read it here in just a moment. Um, But before we get into that, I want to, again, just have us move through this very simple exercise that we've been doing the last couple of weeks. We started this uh, tradition, if you will, um, way back in the fall of 2020, the first time that we got to gather in person uh, after the COVID pandemic had started. Just a very simple way, again, to sort of get into the moments, get into our bodies, to be present here together to one another, but also to God, whose spirit is ready to speak to us today. So we begin by just putting our hands out. This very simple uh, posture of openness, right, of receiving. Take a breath. Then put your hands over your heart. That heartbeat reminding us that... We have a new day that we have breath. We have the gift of life. That every day is a gift, even though we may be going through uh, a lot. Even though it may be busy. Even though this season of life might be challenging for all kinds of different reasons. This reminder that each day is a gift. And then pray with me. Father, we are grateful for the gift of today. For the opportunity to gather together to sing these songs, light this candle, hear from scripture, take communion, hang out and have conversations uh, during this time. God, we're grateful for all of it and for this season and what it means about Advents, about what you have done in the past what you are doing right now, and what you have promised to do in the future. May we hold all of that this morning. God, we are uh, here, we are open, we are ready to receive whatever it is that you want to say to us today. Would you give us the courage to respond in whatever ways we need to respond? And everybody said, amen. All right, Isaiah chapter 26. We're going to read the first nine verses, and then we're going to walk our way through this this morning. begins like this, in that day... In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. He humbles those who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city low, he levels it to the ground and casts it down to the dust. Feet trample it down, the feet of the oppressed, the footsteps of the poor. The path of the righteous is level. You, 
the upright one, make the way of the righteous smooth. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. So, week three of Advent, the theme is joy. Just a a reminder that the overarching theme for our Advent conversation this year is that phrase, now in flesh appearing, from the old Christmas hymn. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing, O come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. So, through these Old Testament words of Isaiah, the gospel stories about the birth of Christ, the traditional Advent themes, and then also the great commandments, which has been so central to all of our conversations this fall, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. We're, We're kind of tying all these different things together as we explore the good news of the Advent season, the good news of the incarnation that God has appeared in the flesh. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have said, as we've gotten into this the last couple of weeks, we have said that in our moment, there is this helpful recognition, right? A helpful recognition of these different aspects of ourselves. But there is not always a helpful framework for integrating them. We often feel uh, in different ways squeezed or reduced to simply brains or bodies to maybe one or two of those segments. But the good news of Advent is that in Jesus, God, now in flesh appearing, fully God and fully human, all these dimensions of ourselves are held together. We do have a framework to integrate all of it, what what theologians have called the imago Dei, the image of God. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. So far, we've looked at uh, the first theme of hope, connecting that to strength by talking about our bodies. Then we looked at peace and the connection to our mind and spirit. Now, we also said last week, we talked about the, the paradox, the tension of imminence and transcendence. Imminence is, is sort of the here, the now, what we can see and touch and measure, transcendence, that which is beyond us. And we talked about how in our moment we have swung heavily towards imminence. And so when we start talking about these different parts of ourselves, heart, soul, mind, and strength, soul is the category that we struggle with the most. But even within the imminent frame... Transcendence keeps popping up in a bunch of different ways. And it's interesting to me, even in pop culture, some of the more recent explorations of, like, do we have a soul? And what happens to us when we die? Is there a part of us that lives on? We've seen shows like The Good Place and and Forever, movies like Pixar's Soul, literally the title of the movie, Soul. Right? These interesting explorations, asking that question, is this, is this it? Like, is it just bodies and then we die and we go into the ground and turn back into dirt? Or is there something else to us? Is there something more to us? And I think that these resonate deeply because I think down deep we do believe, we know that we are more than just bones and cells. Now, it's interesting. In Scripture, there's a lot of different Uh, words and terms that are used to talk about this. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew words ruach and nefesh 
speak about this truth. In the New Testament, we have Greek words pneuma and psyche, and all four of these words can be literally translated as breath. As breath. They're often, in our English Bibles, translated as soul and spirit. Let me give you a couple of examples. In today's text, Isaiah 26, my soul, my nephesh, yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit, my ruach, longs for you. Both of those words here in uh, in the same verse. Trying to get at this truth that there's more to us than just flesh and, and blood. When Mary receives the news that she is going to be the mother of Jesus, she proclaims in a statement that is uh, basically a mirror of Isaiah 26, my soul, my psyche glorifies the Lord and my spirit, my pneuma, rejoices in God, my Savior. The view of Scripture is that the soul is this thing that truly separates us from other living things. That, that we have within us as part of the Imago Dei, the breath of God. God's breath in us, his spirit in us. This eternal, immaterial, and yet very real aspect of our full selves. And ultimately the way in which we connect to God and others. Soul, spirit, breath. So that, that's all wonderful, right? This truth that we have a soul. But what does that have to do with Advent? What does this have to do with joy? What does this have to do with Isaiah chapter 26? Well, let's start with Isaiah and then kind of work our way through each of these different things. Uh, Isaiah has been our primary jumping off point for these conversations this Advent. An amazing uh, and complex book within the Bible. Uh, it's very long. If you've ever tried to read it, um, you may have quit after chapter 17 or something like that. Um, it is quite long and very complex, but we can simplify it down to this. There's basically two halves to this book. There's chapters 1 through 39, the first half, which is all about uh, preparing the people of Israel for exile. At this point in the story, they're, they're still a kingdom uh, that is intact. And, and Isaiah, like many of the other prophets, are saying, hey, look, we have violated this thing called the covenant. We have broken right relationship with God. There are going to be consequences for this if we don't repent, if we don't turn around and get back in right relationship with God. There's going to be a consequence. And that consequence is we will be removed from our land. And if you know the Old Testament story, you know how important the land was to their identity. It was given to them, it was given to Abraham, and this was the whole promise that they had been looking forward to through all the different chapters of their story. Uh, Egypt, and wandering around in the desert, and getting established back into this land. This was so important to them, and so for them to be removed, this was like the worst possible thing. So chapters 1 through 39 are all about, hey, this is coming, this is coming, this is coming if we don't get it together. But then the second half is written after it's happened, okay? Right? They don't repent. They don't restore right relationship with God. And so they are, in fact, exiled. And chapters 40 through one day, we will be written. Obviously, within that first part, the part where they're kind of being warned about exile. But it's a really interesting chapter because it actually fits better thematically in the second part. It's this little sort of pocket about the future within the first half of the book. So, and then also within these these. These nine verses that we look at today, we see Isaiah jump around in the timeline quite a bit. This is an important part of where we're going this morning. In the middle, he's looking back. 
you look at verses 4 through 6, right, he's talking about things that God has done before. And yet the overall perspective of the passage is forward-looking, right? It begins in that day. In that day. And then all the things that Isaiah talks about here in these nine verses are basically pointing towards that day. Not like way in the future when we are restored and we are back in this land. So as the reader of Isaiah is working their way through the first half of the book and then in particular this chapter, you would feel that tension of, so what do we do in the moment? Right, God, you've done these things in the past and you've made these promises about the future. How then do we live in the present moment? And Isaiah gives us two important ideas here. He says we wait and we yearn. What does it look like to hold the tensions of time, what God has done in the past and what he will do in the future? It's waiting and yearning. This is actually a really nice summary of much of what the prophets have to teach us. Not just Isaiah, but all the other prophets in the Old Testament. A lot of it is about living in the tension of time, what God has done in the past, what he's doing in the present, what he will do in the future. Now back to our cultural moment. Again, our swing away from transcendence and towards eminence. When we deny the reality of the soul, we lose transcendence. And when we lose transcendence, we also lose the future. And when we lose the future, we lose joy. When we lose the soul, we lose transcendence. When we lose transcendence, we lose the future. And when we lose the future, we lose joy. Let me unpack what I mean by all of that. Advent is also about living in the tensions of time. As a season, every year we come back to this this remembering what has happened, right? That Jesus has come, God in flesh appearing. And we celebrate his birth and we revel in the truth of the incarnation and all that that means. But Advent, the word literally means a coming. Advent is about more than just counting down the days until Christmas morning. As fun as that is. It is also about anticipating Jesus' return. It's about what God has done in the past. It's about how we live in the moment. It's about where the story is headed. In that day. In that day when all things are made new. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is a direct quote from Isaiah 65. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This is a very important image theologically. Heaven coming down The city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah 26, of Isaiah 40 through 66. God's dwelling place among the people. He himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Not 
some things, not a few things. I am making everything new. Joy is about time, not about feelings. Joy is about time. It is not about feelings. It is about what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. And I think the heart of it is really summed up in Isaiah 26, 4. It is about trusting God. Trusting God because of who God is, what God has done, and what God will do. Joy is not good vibes that we sort of muster up through Christian cliches. Joy is not, or joy is a soul reality that we live in. It is the good news that God is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. That as we said last Sunday, he is before all things and in him all things. Again, not some things, not a few things, but all things hold together. So joy is distinct from feelings because joy is connected to our souls, not our hearts. There's all kinds of interesting implications to this. We can feel all kinds of things about our circumstances, anger, sadness, happiness. This is just what it means to be a human being as we respond to the things that happen in our life. We can even feel a negative emotion and still be full of joy because the truth of who God is, the truth of what God has done, is doing, and will do, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, his, his return one day, all of that is bigger than what we may be feeling and experiencing in the moment. And so we can be frustrated. It's okay to be frustrated that our coffee did not turn out well. And you can't and still not lose your joy. You can be angry about the referees and not lose your joy. I've been watching a lot of soccer recently. Uh, on a more serious note, we can be tired and worn out and not lose our joy. We can be sad because someone close to us has passed away and not lose our joy. We can grieve, we can lament and still be full of joy. Happiness, anger, sadness, grief, all of it are appropriate human responses to the variety of circumstances that we face in our lives. Jesus felt all of it, fully God and fully human, felt all of it in the face of tragedy and, and oppression and injustice, all the different experiences that he had as a human being. We can experience and feel all those things and still not lose our joy. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. Again, do you hear the all-encompassing language of Scripture? Making all things new, holding all things together. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. So feel what you need to feel. But know that underneath that, we can still have joy. We can still experience joy 
Even if our, our circumstances are terrible, we can still have joy because it is well with our soul. Nothing can separate us. Horatio Spaff, Chicago-based lawyer and business owner, he was enjoying a very nice life until a series of tragedies befell him and his family. In the winter of 1871, Spafford's young son died of pneumonia. Later that year, he lost his business in the great Chicago fire. And then two years after that, in the midst of trying to rebuild their lives, Horatio sent his wife and his four daughters on a ship to Europe. Four days into that journey, their ship collided with another ship. Hundreds of lives were lost, including all four of his daughters. Horatio's wife, Anna, survived. She was rescued, and she sent this haunting telegram to Horatio upon making land in Wales. Saved alone, what shall I do? Man, as a, as a parent, like, whew, you feel that. Saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio boarded a ship immediately to meet her in Wales. And the ship that he was on followed a similar path, trajectory across the Atlantic Ocean. And on the fourth day of his journey, he went out onto the deck of the ship. And he spent most of the day sitting out there, as the boat that he was on most likely passed right over the spot where his daughters had perished. Horatio and Anna would go on to have three other kids later in life, and according to his daughter, he wrote the words to the hymn, It is well, on that day as he sat on the deck of that ship, as it passed over the spot where he lost his four girls. Words like this, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And I think it is very telling that he chooses the word soul, right? Not it is well with my life, it is well with my circumstances, he does not say it is well with my heart, my mind, and my body, probably was quite unwell with all of those things, right? He says it's well with my soul. And so our our lives can be a mess. We can be in the midst of unspeakable circumstances. It can be completely unwell with our heart, our mind, and our strength. And yet at the same time, it can be well with our soul. Which is not a denial of reality. Or, or uh, sort of pretending that everything is fine and I've got it all together. It is instead a gritty commitment to live in the tensions of time, to wait and to yearn. And to understand that joy 
is a reality that is tied to relationship with God, not to a feeling. Right? It's about our souls. And this truth that when we are in right relationship with God, nothing can separate us. So as we prepare now for the communion table, I just have a very simple question for us today. Are we in right relationship with God? Are we in right relationship with God? Which again, back to Isaiah 26 and particularly verse 4 is really a question of trust. Do we trust God? Right? All, all healthy relationships ultimately are built on trust. Do we trust God who has worked in the past, who has those things mysteriously in the present, and who has promised to work in the future? Can we see those, those things that he has done in the past? Can we name them? And do we trust him to do it again and again and again? Do we trust how the story will end? <clears throat> to say that it is well, it requires this deep commitment to trust this God who, you know, admittedly at times can feel distant. Right? But to trust that promise that nothing can separate us. Real relationship is always available. So I want to invite you this morning as we sing these last songs and as we come to the table to examine yourself, to maybe sit with that question for a moment. And then when you're ready to come to one of the stations, we've got some up here and then around the, the theater in the back to come to the table which does declare nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? Would you pray with me? Father, we... Uh, we come to the table this morning uh, confessing that a lot of the time it is incredibly difficult to trust this truth. It can be much easier to trust what's going on, what we see, what we are feeling in the moments. And as a result, it, it can seem like joy is a long way off. But God, would you reshape our imagination to see that joy is connected to our souls and that when we know you, we can be confident, we can trust that nothing can separate us from your love. And so I just pray that over us this morning, that we would know in our souls that it is well because you are with us because of what you have done in the past, what you are doing in this moment, what you will do in the future, God. We thank you for the cross. What it means that Jesus took on flesh, became a human being and lived with us and died for us and overcame the power of sin and death through his resurrection. 
And so again, whatever else we may be experiencing, whatever else we may bring into this, this moment this morning, God, may we know that that is true. And that because of the reality of what you have done through Jesus, again, we can trust that nothing can separate us. It is well with our souls. Amen.